Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Thanks for listening to Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rawls. And I'm Jeff Essery. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Jeff Essery. Uh, Jeffrey Essery, so J-E-F-F-R-E-Y Essery. At Joro underscore NFL. And at Cover 2, the number Broncos. Always asking for questions there. And if you have any questions, we'll be happy to answer them on the show. Yeah, we had so much fun on that first episode. And thanks again, like Joe said, for all the great feedback and for taking time to listen and hang out with us. Um, we're excited to keep this going. Good tips uh, from everyone. So keep the questions and the you know feedback coming. One of the things that came out from our previous episode that we wanted to talk about right up front is, you know, a lot of the language that we use on the show, a lot of technical terms and things like that. Um, we want to try to make this as accessible as possible for folks who are, you know, uh, super versed in uh, football jargon and maybe some folks that are just starting out and learning. So we'll continue to try to get in that Goldilocks zone, maybe explain a couple of the concepts or uh, technical terms if we don't. And so keep that feedback coming and because we know that uh, some folks are, you know, just jumping in to learn and some folks are really well versed in this. So we'll try to make it something that everybody can enjoy. And if you have questions about anything we do mention on here, feel free to reach out to us. I'm happy to try and explain. I'm sure Jeff is as well. Or if you have any corrections or if we're doing something wrong, let us know. I mean, I know there's a lot of smart people out there on Twitter and we're always happy to learn. And that's what that's what this is all about. Definitely. So last week we discussed the Broncos most pressing offseason needs. 
This week, Jeff and I are hoping to kind of take a deeper dive into Pat Shermer's offense. Yeah, so before we dig too deep into what changes and how it fits for the Broncos and all the stuff that we're going to cover today, I know both you and I, Joe, have been kind of head down in the film over the last couple of weeks watching the Shermer offense really ever since he uh, was hired or it was announced that he was going to be brought on. And I've been watching a lot from the 2017 Vikings and then the 18, 19 years from the New York Giants. Just give us a quick overview, Joe. What was your overall impression of the offense just first out of the gate when you popped the tape on? Selfishly, I would say that I like Pat Shermer's offense because it's easier to kind of dissect what he's doing with concepts. There were were quite a few plays that I saw that I definitely have seen those same concepts in Madden. There's less motion overall. He's very adaptable. He's not a coach that's afraid to go back to a concept if he thinks it's working. How you, Jeff? Yeah, so I saw a lot of the, I mean, one of the things that I dug into when we brought in Case Keenum was the 2017 Vikings offense several years ago in 2018, and so had been a little bit familiar with Pat Shermer's offense and saw some of those same things come through in the 2018 and 2019 New York Giants as well. And one of the things, too, that, you know, to keep in mind really to set up this entire discussion is that it is going to always be dependent on the players that are in that particular offense and particularly the quarterback. And so looking at the offense in the context of when it was run by Case Keenum, Eli Manning, and Daniel Jones, but that could be different for Drew Locke because he's a different type of quarterback than those guys. So I don't think take everything that you see as gospel, but it gives you a good idea of kind of like you mentioned, Joe, some of the things that he likes to run. We'll get into the concepts and all of that, but Broncos fans may be familiar with some of the stuff that we ran with Case Keenum in 2018, and that'll be somewhat of similarities um, between the two. For how much Denver is actually changing with the new offensive coordinator, it's still in the same tree that they've been in for a long time. In his press conference last week, they talked about nomenclature and language, and Vic Fangio talked about consistency. And one of the big concerns that people seem to have is because Denver's changed their offensive coordinator so often. And I get that. But the thing that's kind of important to remember is Pat Shermer is coming from the same kind of verbiage as a lot of the coordinators before him. So, so this is worth explaining. There's kind of three big systems in terms of like how plays are called in the NFL. There is the West coast, the bill Walsh system, as everybody kind of knows, there's the air Corral. Norv Turner is a good example for that. The other one that's less well-known but is important to kind of bring up is the Earnhardt Perkins system, and the New England Patriots use that. And that's what Peyton but, Manning uh, came from as well. In the Tom yeah. Moore, yeah, the Tom Moore-Peyton Manning offense, yeah. That was kind of like one of the big shifts when Gary Kubiak came in because Kubiak is a Bill Walsh guy. There's a melding in there. Like, coaches adapt and players adapt to, like, kind of blend it all together. But the foundation of the tree, I think – since basically since Kerry Kubiak has been like the Bill Walsh system, which is one of the things they brought up last year when they brought in Drew Locke is the fact that he was having trouble with play calls because the Bill Walsh system tends to be sentences for the play calls and it tends to get kind of long and verbiage. But because Denver's been using that kind of system for a while, it's not going to be a huge change bringing in Shermer in terms of learning the plays. Yeah, and to me, that's a big deal because that was one of the things that I reacted to very strongly when the news came out that Rich Scangarello was going to be let go and they were bringing in a new offensive coordinator is a lot of it was because of Drew Locke's development. You know, you had a guy who needed time to kind of grow in the NFL 
and now you're going to change offensive coordinators on him just as he's kind of getting into a rhythm and has played five games. But to your point, I think the fact that it's a similar enough system from a verbiage standpoint certainly helps. To kind of like boil it down, the way I would explain it is it's not like going from learning English to learning Korean. It's kind of like going from learning English to learning English in another part of the country. So like there's still going to be some words that are completely new, but you kind of have that foundation coming in. So I think Drew Locke should be able to still pick it up without too much of a problem. And as somebody who's lived in Korea, that's a very personal example for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even after two years of living in Korea, I was basically on a survival level of knowing the language. Nothing, nothing more. So one of, one of the big things that I think is going to be a difference is the phil- philosophy in terms of Shermer compared to Scangarello. And what do you what do you see when you look at that, Jeff? Yeah, so I think, and I mentioned to this when I was going over the Case Keenum offense in 2017 that Shermer ran there, and it's, it was similar to what he brought over when he was with the New York Giants. And I broke it down then of what they were really trying to do. And again, this is, let me qualify that it's dependent on the quarterback and Case Keenum's a different quarterback than Eli Manning, than Daniel Jones, than Drew Locke will be. So it's not necessarily across the board, but I think it's important to level set for fans kind of what they're going to see and what the offense is really going to try to do. You know, Pat Shermer talked a little bit about, you know, in order to score points, you've got to throw the ball down the field. But, you know, you and I, Joe, have talked about, I think, Fans could potentially, I don't, I'm not trying to be critical of Shermer's offense because I think it's a good move um, and I think he is a, a good offensive coach, but I think this idea that Denver's going to come out and spread it out and start running the Andy Reid stuff of four verticals all the time, I think fans will be disappointed if we're not chucking it all over the field 20 plus yards every play, you know, and that doesn't happen and it's not sustainable in the NFL anyway, but it's not going to be this big air it out offense there will be more emphasis on passing i think but it's going to be more of a quick passing game at least from what we've seen on tape over the last three years it's quick passing it's horizontal focused it's meant to get the ball in the playmaker's hands to set them up for maximum yards after the catch and then you build on those concepts and take deep shots off of it and so to me it more stresses you out horizontally in order to attack you vertically which is different than say an Andy Reid attack, um, and they use some of the similar things. You know, Andy Reid likes to spread you out horizontally as well, but I just didn't see the vertical attacking that I think people were talking about when Shermer first came over. Of like, oh, Scangarello never threw it deep. Now Shermer's just going to go, you know, ham, and we're going to open up the offense. I do think it'll allow the offense to play faster. I think it's more simplified concepts, but I do think we should level set for fans that. Shermer over the last three years has been bottom or near the bottom of the league in average air yards, average intended air yards, completed air yards, and then also air yards to the sticks. And he's been top in time to throw or lowest in in terms of getting the ball out quick. And so it kind of follows that this isn't some long vertical air attack this is a quick passing game that is meant to open up deep shots down the field and so i think it's just something that fans should be having in their mind or setting expectations a little bit well and one of the other things is and we'll get into this in a second but i looked at a target distribution a couple days ago and even when you consider sample size the receivers and tight ends from scangrell's offense average more yards per reception than Shermer's did the last three years. I think Denver may very well throw more dink and dunk passes, but I think the efficiency may go up. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things to, to call out too is, you know, it typically leads to high completion percentage. And one of the things that's kind of a staple of Shermer's is what he's brought to the quarterbacks when he's played with them is they've always had a high touchdown to interception ratio, a very low interception ratio because it is safer throws and you're not forcing things. You're taking what the defense gives you. It's it's that quicker passing game. And so I say all that to say, again, I'm not trying to be critical of Schirmer's offense because I, I am excited about what he brings. And we'll get into all the, you know, I think the benefits and who will benefit from this and, and all of that. But I do think it's important to set expectations for fans of what they're going to see just based on what we saw over the last three years on tape. Um, and again, that's not to say they don't take deep shots. Uh, Case Keenum in 2017, I mean, they had, he was top in the league in big plays just because of the fact that he had Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen on the outside and they'd throw 50-50 balls on the outside and those guys would come down with it. So you put the right playmakers in place and you give them the opportunities to make plays and they can do that in this offense. So it's not, I definitely don't want people to hear that it's going to be, you know, a stale offense or it, it, they're not going to try to stretch the field. But I liken it to when Fangio came last year, you and I and several others as well, but I know I specifically wrote two big pieces on what Fangio was bringing on the defensive side to try to set expectations for fans because it was different than the Wade Phillips defense that they were used to, Wade Phillips, Joe Woods defense. And fans were still upset in the Oakland Raiders game. You know, we said we preached all offseason, look, it's going to be more off coverage. It's going to be zone, more zone type looks. And you're going to have the outside linebackers dropping into coverage more. Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb are going to drop into coverage because that's what Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd did. And here's why it works. And here's why it fits in with the defense and all of that. And people were still mad for the first four games, five games of the season, wanting to fire Fangio and shoot his defense into the sun because we were giving up short passes underneath and all of that by design. And it was all fit. It was within the design of the defense and they just, their expectations were different from what they were going to see. And so that's what I don't want to happen with the Shermer offense. Cause I do think it'll be a good thing. I just don't want fans to get upset when we throw two screens and a slant flat concept and go three and out and there, where's the deep ball. One of the first things that happened when Shermer was hired that I saw on Twitter is, Oh, no more tight end screens. You might not want to go back and watch the giants tape from 2018. <laughs> And, and from a, on a positive note, and I think that's, that segues nice into the, the concepts that we're going to see, but on a positive note, if you look at Evan Ingram's numbers from 2018, he was top five in the league in yak percentage. He had like 80% of his yards coming from yak. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're throwing screens or short passes, if you're getting it into the hands of your athletic playmakers and setting them up to make plays. And so all that to say... Here's some of the concepts that we saw on tape that really bring some of that philosophy to life. And you've, I know you've got a, a bunch of them that you've been in looking at, Joe. And so what are, what are some of the main you know, concepts and, and plays that we'll potentially see from Shermer? I think there's going to be a lot of screens. And I think one of the important things to keep in mind when you consider that is Andrew Reid is probably one of the best screen designers in football. Yeah. And Shermer definitely kind of comes from that idea of – if you can do it, it's stealing yards because it's an easy completion and then just getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers. I watched the Eagles and Giants game from 2018, the first one, a couple days ago. And Eli Manning threw the same three-by-one, like three receivers one side, open on the other side, and hit a smoke screen. And he's happy to go to that if it's there. 
So it kind of punishes defenders for playing too far off and not respecting it. He also, he's really, really big on mesh concepts, which is a double crosser with a rub route. You'll see that on third down quite a bit. And Denver ran no, some ahead, of those yeah. last year as well. You know, you see that a lot on tape, even from Scangarello. So again, it's not going to be, it's not going to be super four. And we've run, you know, Denver ran those and every team kind of runs those. But yeah, I think the, the volume is, is higher with Shermer on the mesh specifically. Most of the concepts we're going to bring up, Denver has run in some version or another. But it's just these concepts kind of stood out to me as things that Shermer really liked to use. I talked to Mark Schofield back when Pat Shermer was first hired, and he mentioned smash in the end zone. And I've seen it too. He definitely likes using smash. It's it's an easy way to get a corner route for the one of the receivers. He'll run uh, slot fades quite a bit. He did it in 2019. Darius Slayton got a lot of his production off of that. He likes slants, double slant. You And you talked about this when Case Keenum came in. But he really likes double slant concepts. He likes slant flat concepts. I've seen a lot of curl flat concepts, especially with Eli Manning. Yeah, and I think one of the things to to mention too is, you know, a lot of those seem very simple. And it, it goes to the point that I made when I finally, you know, started to come around on the Shermer hiring is, you know, one of the things that was the weakness of Scangarella was he was a great play designer. And I loved some of the designs that he brought to Denver. But the play calling was lacking. And that's, you know, once he got off script in game, Benjamin Albright, you know, has talked about this a ton of, you know, he was a great first 15 plays on script play caller. But once he got off, especially in the second half, you know, struggled with adjusting and and making moves after that. And so that's a distinction to make with Shermer is that while these concepts may seem pretty simple, it's about how you sequence them together the type of guys that you have running them and then when you're calling them and really the ways that you build off of them to your point that, you know, you could call the same play three times in a row or just, you know, continue to run the same concept, but there's all different rules of based on the coverage or based on where the quarterback goes with the ball, it could go to three different places. And so slant flats and curl flats are a great example of that because it essentially just picks makes the defense wrong every time. And so, you know, the curl flat and slant flat specifically are meant to pick on whoever's out there on the receiver. If they take the slant, you throw to the flat. If they come down and try to crash on the flat, the slant is open, at least on the throwing lane. And so, and then I've seen him build concepts off of that too. With Case Keenum, there was a neat one against the Eagles in the playoff game where they ran, they ran a clear out route on the, outside so the you know receiver on the far outside running a streak to clear out the main corner and then they ran a flat concept and everybody is crashing on the flat the slot and the uh, linebacker because they had been running a lot of these concepts and then the slot receiver sneaks out behind them looks like he's running the slant flat concept and then he turns it upfield for essentially a sluggo route um, the slant and go and uh, had a big play and so same thing on those smoke screens that you mentioned. Uh, he's ran, I think it was Slayton or somebody scored, uh, it may have been Golden Tate, but scored a big touchdown on a fake smoke screen slot fade, essentially. It's the old Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning did it with Wes Welker. You know, you fake the screen that they love to run, and then you run one of the blockers who's supposed to be blocking goes out and runs a fade route. And so I think those are some interesting things that. Denver can continue to tinker with, with some of their main basic concepts that may seem simple, but there's a lot of different uh, variations that you can run off of them. And a lot of it depends on the playmakers and really Drew Locke's decision-making on finding those guys. I'll be honest, my Madden game plan, just to give you an idea, is if they can't stop something, I'll run it all game. 
And I like the fact that Shermer's like that. One of the things that Bruce Arians actually for Tampa Bay came under a lot of heat last year and saying that he never calls the same play in a game. Like he'll call it once and never go back to it. If they can't stop it, why wouldn't you go back to the stuff? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all for Trimmer beating you to death with a, with a mesh route. Yeah, absolutely. And that's tagging onto the Andy Reid stuff. I forget who it was. I want to give him credit, but it was uh, somebody on Twitter. Everybody's breaking down the Super Bowl right now. A couple different guys. It may have been Zach Dunn that was talking about it. But the Chiefs essentially ran the same concept like four or five times on the offensive side, and they may have run it more than that, but he was specifically highlighting about four different times that they ran the same concept, and they did different things every time because it was an RPO with a wheel route on the outside or a flat route that they could go to, and one time they handed it off. The next time Patrick Mahomes kept it and ran it. The next time they hit the wheel route, the other time they hit the slant route. And so, you know, there's all these different options that you could potentially hit on the play, but you're running the same thing every time. And what that gets to, and I think it it gets us into the next uh, piece of the conversation, is what does it mean for the personnel and how will this look for the players? One of the things that I think will help the players, because there's so many young people on the team, and, you know, you're potentially adding some more young receivers in the draft, is it's fewer concepts to learn. It's more simplified. I think it's that's one of the things that I didn't give, or maybe I gave Scangarello too much credit for, is, oh, he's got these great play designs, but if the players can't execute those, ultimately that falls back on the offensive coach. At some level, players do have to execute what's called, but if you're game, you know, week 15 into the season and the players still aren't able to execute your plays that you're calling, that's on you. And so that's one of the things that Pat Shermer does bring is that he's able to, he's gotten production out of, you know, we've mentioned Darius Slayton a couple times. He's a fifth round rookie and he had eight touchdowns and uh, how many yards, Joe? It's a lot. I think it was over 700. So he was definitely, he was an effective receiver last year. Yeah. And so being able to get production like that out of young guys, I think is, you know, critical. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it boils it down to the fact that it's a simple, simpler offense and there's fewer things that they're trying to do and they just run variations off of that. When you look at how young the offense is and everyone knows that Denver's looking to bring in probably a receiver, maybe two, they may eventually go to another young tight end. Like having players be able to pick up your system quickly and be able to effectively do it is kind of important in today's NFL. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing that Shermer's offense is probably easier to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, on that note of personnel, let's go down the position yeah. group of what it really means and set us up here of, you know, what are we going to see more of? I know a lot of people have talked about we're going to see a lot more, you know, three wide receivers, all of that. What did you see on tape? And we'll go down the position groups of kind of what it means for them. But let's start with the personnel yeah. in, in general. I looked at the numbers over at Warren Short. Uh, he does a personnel analysis. And the Giants use 11, so three per, three receivers, one tight end, one running back, substantially more than Denver did last year, and both seasons Sherman was there. They also, last year, the Giants and Denver used 12 personnel, which is two receivers, two tight ends, and a running back at about the same level. But in 2018, they used it quite a bit more. We will see a lot less two running back formations overall and about the same amount of three tight ends. Other couple notes that I noticed when I was looking at this, Shermer's offenses tend to be a lot more throw heavy out of 11 personnel. Denver, last year under Scangarello, Denver really tried to have an equal run pass balance. 
they would float around like 53 to 55% off one way or the other. In New York, Shermer's offense is through the ball out of 11 personnel more than 70% of the time. And then he got really run heavy out of uh, 22 personnel. He rarely went there, but when he went to 22 personnel, which is two running backs, one receiver, two tight ends, he ran the ball almost 80% of the time. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to mention, too, is the run-pass distribution. And everybody talks about balance, and Fangio and Shermer both talked about that. Of Balance doesn't necessarily mean balance between runs called and passes called. But I think it is important to call out that, you know, Shermer's is a more pass-heavy offense. And I think, too, between, you know, we've talked a lot about the under-center shotgun stuff back last year when Drew Locke was coming in specifically, and Shermer offense does lean heavier on shotgun. At least it did with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning. Um, You saw it in 2017 with Case Keenum in Minnesota. It was more of a 50-50 split in terms of run pass, more under center, because Case Keenum was more comfortable with that. He was better off play action. Um, But he was still in a lot of shotgun uh, concepts too. But I think that's another thing that, you know, fans will be expecting to see. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The Vikings offense in a lot of ways looks more similar to Scangarello's offense than the last two years in New York did. Everyone's kind of worried about what's going to happen to Andy Janovich. Everyone loves Andy Janovich. He just got paid. And you would look, you would look at how Shermer used fullbacks in New York and you'd think he's not going to get to play very much on offense, but they use CJ ham on 18% of snaps. Like that's not an insignificant amount for a fullback. Yeah, and I think uh, Andy Janovich has some versatility as well to potentially be attached to the line or be moved around as an H-back or or things like that. And so, yeah, I do think there's a spot for him. And one of the things that Shermer said at his opening press conference, too, is that everybody likes to call the plays that work, but it also comes down to what your players do best. That's something that no offensive coach is not going to say that when they first come to a team. And so it's a little bit cliche, but I think we've seen it a little bit as in terms of the adaption to the players. And so in Minnesota, it was Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. And so there was higher target share percentage to the wide receivers. They did a little bit more of what Case Keenum was comfortable with. You come to the 2018 Giants and they had just drafted Saquon Barkley. And he got uh, the the target share for running backs in 2018 for the Giants was off the charts from what they normally do. I think they averaged nine targets a game to the running back position in 2018, and it was like six per game in Minnesota. And so he's willing and has shown propensity to adapt the offense. And one of the big examples of that is Evan Ingram. And one of the things that we've talked about is, and this will get us, you know, kind of jump us into the tight end position in general of what it would look like in Denver under Pat Shermer is 
I think the biggest beneficiary of Pat Shermer coming is Noah Fant. One of the things that made me nervous when Denver drafted Noah Fant last year is all this talk about how he was going to essentially be George Kittle. I do believe if TJ Hawkinson would have fallen to Denver at 10, he was probably the guy if that's what they were looking to do because TJ Hawkinson is a closer fit to what George Kittle's skill set is. Evan Ingram is kind of like the perfect comp for what Noah Fant really was coming out as a prospect. He's more of a receiver. He's a move tight end. He's an underrated blocker. I think he's an okay blocker. He's a good positional blocker at times, and he should be improving there. But he's not the guy that you want to line up on the line and just beat people up with. Yeah, and that's a great, I think, comparison and fit for Noah Fant is that he was lined up as more of the inline tight end and tried to play that George Kittle role. And I thought he he got more comfortable in it as he as the season progressed. But you look at what the Giants did with Evan Ingram coming in, who's, you know, he's 6'3", 240. And so he's essentially a big receiver. And he's a scrappy blocker, too, on tape. Um, you know, he's, he's not going to run guys over, but I, I thought he was a good had great effort on, on the blocking side, but they rarely attached him in line. And so he was typically, you know, either split out as a big slot. Sometimes he was even the um, X receiver on the backside of a three by one set. So you've got trips to one side and then you've got your tight end on the other side. And that's something that Shermer did with Kyle Rudolph a lot as well. And then he was moved around in motion. He was attached as kind of that U tight end or, or some folks call it uh, like the Joker um, role. And so you've got, you know, a tight end attached to the line. And then you've got Evan Ingram, who essentially is a, a little bit off the line and can move around in motion. And it's easier to get him hooked up on mismatches that way as well. And because of that, we saw in 2018, you know, again, 80% of his yards came from yards after the catch. And so, in 2019, Noah Fant, 60% of his yards came after the catch. And so they're similar players in terms of getting the ball in their hands. They're athletic playmakers. Um, you get the ball in their hands short, get them open, and let them do things in the open field. If Noah Fant's going to essentially be an offset tight end or a joker, that does mean that Jeff Howerman definitely still has a role with the Broncos. I know there's been some talk because he didn't have a lot of receptions last year. So a lot of people think like, oh, he got overpaid. But the thing is, He's going to probably still be the inline tight end. I would say if they got rid of him for whatever reason, they would be looking to add another guy to basically do the same exact thing. So unless they think they can find an improvement somewhere, they're probably not getting rid of him this year. Yeah, and I think that's a good move because I liked what he Agreed, brought yeah. last year. I mean, like you said, he didn't catch a lot of passes, but you pop on the tape and he was a nasty blocker. I thought he was really underrated in the blocking game. I've got a couple of clips on my Twitter timeline trying to call it out and give him some props because I thought he looked really good, um, you know, finally healthy and um, able to contribute in the running game specifically. But then I thought he did some good things in the past game. And so I do agree. I like the idea of keeping Hireman there as that inline tight end role. And one of the things that before we jump off the tight ends and, and keep moving on, because I know we've, we've, we've got a lot of position groups to get through the, one of the other things is, is Shermer has always shown a propensity to target the tight end down in the red zone. Caden Smith, who's the inline tight end for the Giants, you know, obviously he got a little bit more snaps once Evan Ingram got hurt, but he had three touchdowns uh, last year for the Giants, and Kyle Rudolph had eight, I believe, in 2017. It was his second best uh, career year uh, with the Vikings in the red zone, and so 
I think that's another thing that will benefit Noah Fant as well is those, uh, you know, for you fantasy players, I think Noah Fant will get a lot more red zone targets as well. Over the three years that I looked at when I was looking at target distribution, Shermer's tight ends average seven touchdowns a season, and they average about five receptions a game for about 51 yards. Those are all numbers that are higher than what Fant did last year. And granted, he was a rookie, but I would say a big season is probably coming for him. Yeah. And you mentioned it a little bit. So moving on, to the we'll, we'll touch briefly on the kind of fullback or H-back role. I think there is a role for Jano and potentially even Beck, uh, who I thought had a good season last year. But I think it'll be a, a more reduced role to your point of the amount of times that they spent in two back sets. You know, but I do think some of those guys could potentially see some time in 12 personnel with the two tight end sets with, you know, Noah Fant potentially split out in the slot and one of these guys attached as an H-back or, or something like that where they're moved around more and not in the traditional fullback role. But I don't think we'll see a massive Jano resurgence, but I don't think it's enough for him to be uh, diminished in the offense. And again, he's a great player. I think you'll see a lot of good time on special teams. Um, and he contributes a lot in the running game. And with Munchak still here, I think they'll still run. You know, we'll talk a little bit more, a deep dive on the run concepts at a later episode. But I think they'll still keep some of the run concepts concepts from last year. And he was a big part of that in Denver's running game, springing Philip Lindsay for some big plays. Well, and I think the bigger the bigger takeaway for as far as fullbacks is going to be what happens with Beck. I looked at the way Shermer's offenses over basically his entire time as a play caller how they've kind of built the offenses and they always have a fullback and they tend to carry three to four tight ends. They also tend to carry six receivers and we'll get to that in a second. But that means essentially if they're going to keep Jano and they will, because they paid him, they're not going to get rid of him. Andrew Beck is probably going to have to be able to contribute as that third or fourth tight end. And granted he can then be the backup to Jano as a tight, as a fullback also, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of the position battle for that third and fourth spot. Yeah. Because you also look at a guy like Troy Fumagalli who, um, you know, he could potentially get moved around as a bit of an H back role too, is what he, we saw last year, but I liked what Beck did last year when Jano um, was hurt. And so I think, yeah, to your point, that'll be a, an interesting battle. We talked run game a little bit, Well, let's dig into the O line um, briefly and what's going to change potentially on the offensive line or overall philosophy in the running game with Pat Shermer? There was a lot of talk when he was first hired that Denver suddenly going to become a really heavy outside zone team. And I personally did not see that when I was watching the Giants tape. There's more inside zone. There's a lot of the same kind of mixed zone and gap concepts. Shermer's not a guy that's strictly one thing or another. And I think that combined with the fact that Denver's retaining Mike Munchak, and even Shermer said that that was a big reason why he came here. I don't think the running game and I don't think the offensive line is necessarily going to look a lot different just because Shermer came on. The thing that's important to remember, I think, with Mike Munchak and how the offensive line is going to be this offseason anyway, is he kind of took over a group that already had most of the talent in place last year other than Jawan James. This was always going to be a se the season where... Denver kind of goes through a transition of building the offensive line the way Mike Munchak wants them to look. Yeah, and I think that's a good point on in terms of Pat Shermer kind of 
not being married to one particular concept or another because there was some things that was moving around when Shermer was first brought into Denver. People were saying, oh, there'll be a lot more outside zone now because that's what they ran in Minnesota. But then you saw a lot of what they did with the Giants and Saquon Barkley, and it was more power gap stuff. And so, you know, then it kind of, I feel like the narrative kind of shifted of like, oh, now Denver's shifting from a zone team to a power gap scheme. What's that going to do? But if you look at the tape last year, Denver was, they were at least as successful on power gap schemes um, you know, counters and power, um, and even some of the, I mean, the zone windbacks are zone concepts too, but, um, they did a lot of diverse things in the running game. And I think to your point, I think they'll keep a lot of that because Mike Munchak was the one driving some of that Pat the last year. And I think Pat Shermer will, will let him do that this year. At least I hope they do, because a lot of those run concepts, uh, were really successful. The power scheme and that, that, um, that counter OF was one of my pl- favorite plays uh, that they ran. And, you know, that's a power gap uh, concept. And they scored at least a couple touchdowns, busted several big runs on just that concept alone. And so I think this idea that Denver is, you know, going to be moving into foreign territory by shifting from a zone to power gap scheme, uh, I don't think is completely accurate. They'll, to your point, I think it'll stay pretty close to what they did last year with maybe some slight tweaking. Maybe the bigger change is going to be on the personnel side, which was probably going to happen anyway with Mike Munchak bringing in his guys. If you're going to pay to keep Mike Munchak, who is one of the two or three, maybe even the best offensive line coach in football, and then not do what he wants to do as far as the run game, it's kind of like hiring Bobby Flay and then serving cheeseburgers. (laughs) That's a that's a perfect <laughs> analogy because I was watching the Food Network this morning before we recorded this, and so I love it. I love it. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about what Shermer is doing to the run game yet. We'll dig into that more probably down the road. But I think kind of what things were looking like before is what things are probably going to look like going forward. Yeah, and to me, the biggest position group that people have questions about, and that's why we saved it for last and we'll, we'll dive into this, is the receivers. The biggest change that we've heard talked about is now this, you know, causes Denver to need a receiver. If for nothing else, the fact that there's going to be a lot more 11 personnel, there's going to be more receivers on the field. So Denver just needs more depth at receiver and a really a true number two, um, because they didn't have that once Emmanuel Sanders left. You had Cortland Sutton soaking up all the targets. He led the league in um, percentage of target share for his team. Michael Thomas was slightly below him. So, you know, you add that comparison for how much, you know, Drew Brees focused on Michael Thomas. Denver focused on Cortland Sutton even more than that. And then behind him were the running backs and Noah Fant in target share. And so there there wasn't really a number two or even number three receiver who was getting a lion's share of the target. So I think that's caused a lot of people to, you know, put receiver as one of the top needs. But what is what does that look like for the receiver position? What does Denver have currently that they, you know, can fit with Pat Shermer and what do they need to look for either in the offseason or in the draft, Joe? This is one of those areas where I do think Pat Shermer coming on in, in place of Rich Gangarello actually does make a big difference just because what they use as far as some of their go-to concepts, Scangarello used more rub and con- like concepts like that where route running in and of itself is important, but guys were going to try – like he got people open. The Shanahan offense is kind of notable for what it does in terms of scheming receivers open, and Shermer does not do that as much. There's more isolation routes – it's one of the big reasons why I've kind of been really cool on LaVisca Chenault. I know a lot of people in Denver are really, really high on him. And I see the potential, and I would be excited if Denver drafts him, but I'm nervous about him because he's not a great route runner right now. 
Maybe he becomes that down the road. But a guy that needs help getting open is not going to do as well in the Pat Shermer offense right away as a guy like, say, K.J. Hill. or And, again, this is one big reason why I love Denzel Mims so much. Denzel Mims' ability to separate and make catches even if he doesn't have clear separation makes him a really good fit in terms of what he could do in this offense. Yeah, and I think to highlight that in, that importance a little bit, next gen stats, you know, they track the because they have the player tracking in, you know, players' uniforms and, and things like that. They're able to see the distance between the defender and the receiver at the time of catch or the time that they were attempting the catch. And last year, Golden Tate and Darius Slayton for the Giants were both near the bottom or top, if you will, um, of the league, I think the bottom third, the league in separation at time of catch. And um, to me, that's indicative of a couple things of just like one, the ability of the receiver to separate, but then it also to me is indicative of the offense is the offense to your point, like Andy Reid getting guys wide open on concepts, or is it let, putting them one-on-one -on -one and letting them go to work where it's potentially going to be a little bit tighter coverage the offense or the quarterback's going to try to thread the needle between that as the two are battling. And to me, that fits, you know, it fits what we saw with Cortland Sutton was in that camp too last year. You know, he was uh, in the near the bottom of the league. He wasn't as low as Golden Tate and Darius Slayton, but he was down there in terms of average separation at the catch. And some of that is attention being paid to him and stuff too. But I think one of the big questions that we have consistently seen, and we got one of these uh, questions from someone on Twitter as well, specifically for the show. And so I want to touch on it is, you know, does that mean Denver needs more speed in a receiver? Or are they looking for more of a guy who can create separation? And to this, I, and we talked, you and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, Joe, I don't think speed is ever a bad thing. And I think Denver specifically, and we talked this last episode as well, when you're going to build a receiving core, it's like Bucky Brooks and Darren Jeremiah have talked about, you want to build kind of a basketball team of a bunch of different, a variety of skill sets. And so I think Denver is missing that guy who's taking the top off, who's a, you know, a speed guy, a burner um, in the offense. So I think you always need someone like that and you can, you never, you know, want to turn down speed, but I do think to your point, Joe, it does, Pat Shermer's offense specifically does value guys who can get open on their own or who can make things happen on basic concepts or basic routes. And we see a lot of times those ISO routes on the outside, they, they may look like one particular route, but I think a lot of what's happening, and you know, I don't know specifically, but looking at it, it looks like there's a lot of option concepts built in within that. And so to me, that helps a guy like Cortland Sutton. It helps a guy even like a Jerry Judy or um, a Henry Ruggs who they – have a vertical route on the outside, but they have the option to turn it into a comeback. They have the option to bend it inside or something based on the coverage. And I think Shermer gives his receivers, you know, the ability to do that within the offense. So it keep things, keeps things simple from a concept perspective, but you can go a lot of different directions with it, like we talked about. Long answer to say, I think, one, Denver does need speed, but I do, I do think with Shermer, I agree with you, Joe, that it – it makes a guy like a Jerry Judy or somebody who is great at separating um, more valuable potentially than a guy who has to be schemed open, especially in their first year. The The big thing is like the combine is going to be coming up in about a month. It's one of those things where if a guy runs a four, three but all the knocks on his tape are that he can't separate. I'm still not necessarily sold on him. Is kind of the big thing. Yeah. But, and also on the, 
Yeah, I think so. And I think ideally you want, you know, all your guys to be able to do to, to bring everything to the table as a receiver. But I will say on maybe to the on the counterpoint to that is some of his concepts, you know, um, Darius Slayton was a guy who pretty much won by having a high, uh, a large catch radius and being fast. You know, he won on a lot of vertical routes, a lot of slot fades. Um, and so I think that's why he was so inconsistent. He had like three or four, two touchdown games and then kind of disappeared for another part of the season. So you'll have a little bit more variance and consistency there, but I do think there is a place in Shermer's offense for a guy who is right now just a burner who is great after the catch or something like that. And so like a Chenault or, you know, I think we saw that with Slayton is, you know, Shermer's propensity to run screens, the, you know, simple slant flat concepts. If you can catch a slant route and make something happen after the catch with it, there's a place for you in Shermer's offense. That's that's my big thing with Chenault is if they were to draft Chenault, I'm going to be excited because, again, the upside is enormous. But I'm going to be very, very, very curious to see how they implement him because he is a guy that's going to need smoke screens, mesh concepts. He's going to need stuff where you scheme him open early while he's figuring out how to run routes. And the reason he's so exciting is if he's bringing all the physical talent to the table and he can do all that he can do after the catch, and he can, you hope that he can figure out how to run routes like Cortland Sutton did. Cortland Sutton's rookie year, he was not a great route runner. Yeah, and I think, too, it, it goes back to some of the stuff we even saw last year with Cortland Sutton even early on in the season as he was still continuing to grow is Rich Gangarello was scheming him open. There was a lot of concepts specifically in the red zone that I broke down early on in the season that, you know, Cortland Sutton was getting open because of the design of Rich Gangarello. And that's not to say that Pat Shermer can't do that. Again, I, I don't I don't want to draw this massive distinction of, you know, Shermer never schemes guys open or anything like that. But I think majority broad brush of what people are asked to do I think some of it's more in the receiver's hands than, you know, the offense potentially scheming them open. And that was a lot of nuance, Jeff. That's too much nuance. <laughs> That's what we aim to do here. That's why we have a, a long form 40 minute format here to talk through all of it. Well, it's good to go over because I think people need to know this because Twitter with the limit on characters and all that stuff, it's just, it's harder to really explain. It's not black or white with this, but as a as a whole, would you say that you're excited for the the passion offense? You kind of excited where where things are going? Yeah, I think I am. I think the I'm specifically excited for Noah Fant. The more I watch of the offense, I think um, I loved the way they used Evan Ingram, and I think Noah Fant will really thrive in that role. I'm really interested to see what Denver does at receiver, and I do think, you know, looking at the tape from um, what Shermer uses and how he could potentially use Denver's receivers, they do need a guy. And so I think you need a solid number two or number three, depending on how you value Deshaun Hamilton. Um, so I think receiver does become a big need, but that was probably going to be the case anyway, even if Shermer doesn't come. But I do think I want to reiterate one more time to, to everybody listening that it isn't going to look like this, you know, deep vertical passing game. That's just not what we saw on tape over the last three years. Again, maybe that changes because of Drew Locke's arm and his propensity to want to push the ball down the field. But I think you're going to see more of a horizontal offense, uh, quick passing game that sets up deep shots. Um, and Drew Locke will thrive at that uh, because of his arm and his ability to push the ball down the field in certain situations. But I think Shermer, especially early on, is going to set it up with easier, low-risk, high-percentage throws. And so I think that's what fans should expect from the offense, especially early on in the season. Well, and you know what? You actually did a really good tease for next week because uh, 
We're actually planning on diving into quarterbacks next week, especially Drew Locke's five starts. Really start to nail down how he fits this Shermer offense. So thank you for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, keep in mind, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Cover2Broncos or I'm at JoeRo underscore NFL. And then Jeff is at Jeffrey Essery. And yeah, we're happy to answer anything we can. We hope to catch you next week.